and welcome to the Emergence Discipleship Podcast. As a church, it's our hope that the proclamation of God's Word on Sundays will turn into the application of God's Word in our daily lives, leading to the transformation of people in our local communities. To that end, we pray that this podcast would serve to further equip you with more insight, background, and context into the themes and topics we study each week. First, as we gather together to worship Jesus, and then as we go to make disciples. Thank you for joining us here today, and let's get started as we dive into this week's discussion. All right, well, hey, leaders, and welcome to our first week of the winter 2020 community season. We are excited to be back. Uh, welcome back. Welcome to 2020. We're excited to jump into our same series, really. Uh, we've been working through Matthew for a little while. And now this part of our podcast is really geared toward leaders who are leading any kind of discussion in their small groups or for us at Emergence, uh, what we call communities. And so what we're going to do is kind of walk through uh, the discussion guides that we put out each week and just maybe make some suggestions of how to kind of approach the topics that we see in, in this passage of scripture, as well as uh, some of the themes that have come out from the sermon from Pastor Ryan this week. So I'm joined uh, today again by our pastor of theology, Doug Becker. Hey, Doug. Howdy. Good to see you, man. Good to be here. Welcome on to our uh, new podcast schedule here. We're now we're recording multiple yes, podcasts. We're liking week. it. Yes. <laughs> just trucking out content, man. Indeed. Doug, that's your specialty, though. Content. Trucking out content? Yeah, man. Yeah, well, as long as we have time. Podcast, to... <laughs> blog posts, books, commentaries. Yeah. Talented man you are. <laughs> All right, Doug, so let's take a look at what we have for this week. So we've recorded a podcast already uh, mm-hmm. last week talking about some of the key themes here, which are chiefly eschatology uh, and end times and some of the, you know, often the challenges that come through, you know, reading through this passage of scripture and a lot of the a lot of the kind of thoughts that come with that. So, mm-hmm. uh, if you guys want to dive into that a little bit more, Doug and I have recorded that podcast already. Uh, it's a little bit of a deeper dive there, so you can find it on the same podcast. For this one, we're going to focus in on kind of the leader's application. So, given that, and given the sermon this week, you know, how do we actually lead a conversation through these things? And so, Doug, before we jump into the text, I think um, maybe we should just talk a little bit about how we should approach, you know. Subjects like eschatology, subjects like, you know, the abomination of desolate. There's a lot here, right? So Matthew 24, we're talking about, you know, the, the disciples are asking about the end times. They're asking about how they'll know uh, when it's coming. Um, Jesus references the abomination of desolation, which to the, the lay reader may not mean anything to them. And uh, then he's using, you know, big symbolic language like the the sun going dark, the uh, stars falling from the sky, moon not giving its light. And so... At just the reader's first glance, it seems like he's talking about the end of the world, right? Mm -hmm. Now, in the sermon this week, Ryan was kind of giving us a little bit more insight into that of saying, okay, um, you know, Jesus is using very specific language here and, and it's pointing to events that are really about to happen for the disciples very, very closely. And there's specific reasons for that, uh, as we saw in the sermon. So, uh, before we dive into the text here, Doug, you have anything that, uh, maybe you want to offer our leaders just as far as how to approach this conversation and what to keep in mind? Yeah, um, I think for most of our leaders, there probably won't be that many issues because I don't think it's quite as in vogue today to believe super specific things about the end times as it once was. Um, but nevertheless, those, um, that posture is still out there. And so I think it's important to approach these matters with a level of humility. Uh, in particular, uh, if you're not familiar with these conversations, um, it's it, it's trying to plug in what Jesus is saying with actual world events. 
Um, like how much of what he's saying is uh, applicable only to the first century, how much of what he's saying uh, maybe happens throughout the church age, how much um, of what he's saying happen, are we to expect as yet future, and then what is the layout of that? And there are – and so I think the way to approach it with one another, with people who maybe differ on interpretations of some specifics is with a level of humility mm. and with openness. This is – I think pretty much everyone would agree that – well, I don't know about that, but a lot of people would agree that this is the kind of stuff that's not really worth digging our heels in over and being super dogmatic about because mm. although some views are certainly more um, appealing than others – None of them are without problems and without difficulties. Sure. Now, you know, Ryan mentioned in the sermon too, especially even for his own testimony growing up in, you know, in the church that he grew up in and, you know, he was already privy to one, to one interpretation of this. And yet mm -hmm. as he's grown and as he's studied and as he's looked at scripture, um, even his views have shifted um, uh, in, in some ways. And so for all of us, you know, if we're leading this conversation, I think it's just wise, like Doug said, to, to number one, walk with a lot of grace and humility with people because you don't know where they're coming from and or how important some of these things may be and, and, and placing far too much importance on them or some, and, and sometimes not enough importance at times. And, you know, we'll get into that with a couple of these questions, but um, just just know that, you know, that at the end of the day, what we're talking about, you know, it's the gospel is far more important than, you know, the exact timing of which Jesus is coming back or how we interpret this specific text. And so just keep that in mind as we approach this conversation. Yeah. Our hope is that these kinds of conversations would, would give us encouragement, uh, toward looking to Jesus's return and, and, and not argue and not arguments or frustration with one another because, you know, we may interpret them subtly different. It, it's also important to realize that, uh, that Different um, opinions on on controversial matters often come uh, often are accompanied by uh, different degrees of the perception of these things important. So maybe that was a very verbose way to say this, but um, in other words, certain positions will, uh, by their very nature, will treat these topics more seriously and less open to disagreement than others. Sure. Um, uh, so, for example, with the with this, when we're talking about end times type stuff, there are certain positions that commit one to certain um, political strategies in the Middle East, right? Like if you sue, if you really believe that what's going on there is the setting into motion the um, end times prophecies <clears throat> about the rebuilding of the temple and the reconstitution of the nation of Israel and everything, then it's kind of important that Christians get on board with that and are right whereas if you don't believe that then you're then there's no real urgency there mm. right so even if if you have people who disagree you might feel as if like it's kind of um debatable and and we don't really need to be that into it whereas someone coming at it from another uh, perspective their calculation on that might be might be different than yours in terms of importance so keep that in mind that is that is part of the dynamic and this isn't yeah. the only debate where we encounter stuff yeah. like that and good leaders honestly in a conversation like this good leaders those that can facilitate a conversation will help people take a look at at scripture and allow scripture to interpret itself 
And to be able to walk through this conversation together and, and continue to build one another toward unity in the faith and not argumentativeness. Um, you know, we talk a lot at Emergence about primary and secondary issues. You know, the primary thing, Jesus being God, right? Jesus coming back. But secondary issues, when, how, you know, yeah. as far as, you know, what is interpretable versus what is set in stone. You know what I mean? So I I think that's enough of a disclaimer. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, yeah. Doug? So why don't, we, why don't we jump into the text? So I'm going to work from our leadership discussion guide. You'll notice that for this week especially, Doug and I have kind of uh, pulled apart the commentary a little bit. Uh, there's a lot of commentary here, and so we've put that on a separate page. Uh, leaders, if you want to study through that, uh, you're, you're welcome to do so. And then we've kept the questions uh, in a relatively systematic guide uh, on another page. All right. So we have our icebreaker, which I would recommend. You can, uh, of course, swap that out or throw another one in there if you'd like, um, but have some kind of icebreaker. It's a new season. You may have new people in your group. Um, so please, uh, you know, have something to welcome them. You can do that over, you know, you know, drink coffee or whatever else cookies or, you know, if that's how you, how you guys roll, but have some kind of icebreaker, a typical opening line. I just like to use this, you know, what are some things that stood out to you from the sermon that kind of gives me an idea of what people really hung on to. And maybe it'll give me a couple points that I want to return to in the conversation. If I can, uh, steer conversation that way. So our first section, Doug, uh, you've labeled signs of Jesus's coming. Uh, and we're going to talk about these first three verses here. So, uh, for the Jewish people in Jesus's day, the temple meant everything, right? It's where, uh, God dwelt among them. It's where they worshiped him. And, and it was even in Doug, maybe you want to explain this. It was even a partial proof of God's promises to them through the prophets, right? So having that temple there, uh, refers back to the old Testament, uh, of promises that God had made to the nation of Israel, Israel. And so this temple really does mean a lot to the Jewish people. And so when Jesus in this passage says, oh yeah, this whole thing's going to be destroyed. It's coming down to the ground. I mean, mm -hmm. we can only imagine the amount of shock that the disciples must have felt there, right? Yes. At, at kind of what they're hearing Jesus tell them. So a couple questions for us. Number one, uh, try to imagine how this felt if, if you were a disciple and you had heard this. And then uh, just one question, you know, what are some other institutions that we have in our lives that would devastate us if for some reason they did come to an end? Uh, do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing that we care so much about these things? So, Doug, what might be some examples of, of institutions? Uh, well, institutions would be things like, um, well, I think particularly about our political system. Like we, mm -hmm. we live in the most comfortable, secure nation, arguably in the history of mankind. And what would we do if things drastically changed here? Or what would we do if the position of uh, Christianity in the culture drastically changed? Mm. Um, I think it's important, you know, not obviously it's easy to be spiritual when we talk about the collapse of systems that are uh, inherently shadow, shallow or, or maybe even sinful, right? But when we talk about the things that are good and that we're thankful to God for, mm. uh, but those things pass away. Like um, what? Like Well, that's what I'm saying. Like say, say, that, say that the political situation in our country changed or um, uh, say for or, – or let's say this uh, your church let's mm -hmm. say emergence had some kind of crazy scandal and went under or something mm -hmm. what would happen to your faith or the government like just kicked us of out things. of our building yeah government <laughs> kicks us yeah suddenly we're like a yeah. hundred house churches or something yeah. yeah there's a few others too like family is another one right yeah uh, you know mm -hmm. family can be i guess we could label that as an institution yes. right? like what yeah, happens yeah, yeah. if the family you know kind of you know i, I don't want to say collapse but you know if there's if there's tension there, you know what I mean? And, and the second question is kind of the point, right? Do you, th 
you know, is it a good thing or a bad thing that we care so much about this? You know, and I would say that there are good institutions, right? Mm -hmm. Doug, I'm sure you'd agree that there are good institutions, but we should not place all of our hope upon them. You know what I mean? Where should that hope be? It should be in Christ, right? That our hope should be in Jesus, regardless of what the institution is. And now, Doug, to your point. So like the government collapses, right? Mm. You know, I can't stop thinking about this. There's a show on Netflix that's called The Designated Survivor. Have you Mm. seen this? I think I saw like the first episode or two. Of okay. It. Yeah. I don't that's, want to make this into a, into a, that's where the guy becomes president. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So basically what happens if you haven't seen the shows on Netflix, I've only seen the first two episodes myself. I started it last night, but it was just very apropos to this conversation. So basically in the show, the government all goes to want to the Capitol building bomb comes, blows everybody up. And there's one designated survivor who actually got fired by the president that morning uh, and his job went in the next day. He ends up becoming the president of the United States. And so the entire government is collapsed. And they're like, what do we do? We have nothing. Like, the whole thing's done. The United States is over. We cannot exist anymore because this happened. It would be funny if you said that you so- just saw the first six episodes because you started watching it last night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Binge watching. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I tell you what, though. Watcher. I mean, from what I see so far, it looks like a pretty good show. But um, anyway, it's kind of what I'm thinking of, right? Because in that show, you know, the government collapses and everybody – it's just pure chaos. And I, it, it got me thinking just to this conversation, you know, what would – what happened? What would happen if emergence tomorrow didn't exist anymore? You know, yeah. like if the church collapsed or, you know, God forbid something happened that where, you know, we just couldn't have church the way that we typically do. Would your faith falter? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or would your discipleship with Jesus falter? And, and there's even things going on like very close to us in the political climate, decisions that um, lawmakers have made recently that I know have affected a lot of people's faith. Maybe not everyone in our church because opinions differ on certain matters. Sure. Um, but, you know, well, I mean, like, like well, I think one very <laughs> – you guys are small group leaders. You know what I'm talking about. But, like, you know, a lot of people uh, feel strongly about the vaccination uh, debates sure. that have been taking place lately, you know. And so if it really came down, if if laws were passed that were very antithetical um, to uh, people's strongly held convictions, where, where would that where would that leave us? Where would that leave you? And this question is not so much um, – you know, obviously this is a little bit um, – off to the side about the di- directly what Jesus is talking about. But what this is meant to do is just to help us get into the shoes of what the disciples must have been hearing when Jesus was telling them, this temple is going to go away. Mm. And um, things that you love and that you hold dear and that you've been secure on are going to be ripped out from under you because you you follow me. Mm. And so it's just to get us in that yeah. frame of mind. It's a great callback mm. to, to you know ask ourselves, what is it that we really put our faith in? Mm-hmm. You know, Great question. Uh, number two, I love this question. This this is probably one that for my own group tonight, I'm really going to hang out in. Um, number two, why do you think people are so fascinated with questions about the end times? When is it healthy to dwell on such things and when does it become unhealthy? Now, given we just had a giant disclaimer statement at the front of the podcast talking about kind of how to approach this, but we should care. We should definitely mm-hmm. care because it's in our it's in our Bible. It's in scripture. Jesus is talking about it and he's specifically giving it to the disciples. So we should care about Jesus' second coming. But if we care too much, you know what I mean? To the point where we're constantly hanging every part of our faith walk with Jesus upon this, then it can become very unhealthy quickly. And we've seen proofs of that uh, in culture. We can see things like that if you walk through the Willowbrook Mall, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like you can see a lot of those things. So wh- how would you answer that, Doug? Like when when can this – when is it healthy and when is it unhealthy 
to approach, uh, you know, some of these things? Yeah. Uh, I think, um, it can become unhealthy again, if we, if we confuse what is certain with what is uncertain or vice versa, um, and, and kind of make that into the thing that we really start to talk about and that that becomes, uh, very close to the, the theological core of who we are as Christians. Uh, for the majority of the, of, of the church, um, very few churches have ever taken very specific stances as central to their confession of faith. Mm. And, uh, we need to, a lot of churches in the last hundred years, though, have kind of shifted in that, right? And, mm. and have included, uh, pretty specific statements. Um, like, you know, we believe in the pre-tribulational, uh, post-millennial, the pre-tribulational return of Christ and the post-millennial reign on earth, mm. you know, and, and, um, making those things a requirement for fellowship is a, is a little bit, I think, too far. Sure. Um, fellowship within a church. Sure. So just as a brief, like mm. a broad stroke on yeah. this, um, from what I understand, Doug, mm-hmm. that there's, there's some typical, um, applications for this that you walk away it's typical views you know you mentioned pre premillennial right so you know the bible talks about a millennial reign of christ and then the a tribulation period of 7 years and so between all of these things you've got views that that agree that it's uh, you know that we're in a premillennial time or a postmillennial time there are some views that say that there is no millennium there are others that say that we're in a pretribulation or or post tribulation, or Christians are taken up in the tri- in the tribulation. Others are not taken up, and and so on and so forth. There are variations all over the place. Mm. And Doug, to your point, you know how we approach these things is more important, I would say, than you, you know than making sure that our opinion is heard or that everybody believes the same thing necessarily. Mm. What I'm trying to say is it's open handed and close handed, yeah. right? These are open handed issues. It is. You shouldn't yeah. clench your fists around this and hold on to this for dear life. The tricky thing is that um, is that it has become commonplace in recent years to attach um, uh, to attach closed handed issues to these issues. Mm. Um, so because certain interpretive schemes um, pride themselves on being um, as literal as possible. Um, so for example, Jesus here says that the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven. That means the sun will be darkened, mm. right? The moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the heavens. Um, if, if, if you interpret it literally, if you ter- mm-hmm. interpret it literally, um, a case could be made that that is a higher view of scripture, mm. that that is taking the Bible serious and preserving a literal interpretation in the face of people who want to soften Mm. um inerrancy and soften you know so a lot of these debates are bound up with one another which is another reason why people feel passionately about them but mm. i think it's just helpful to um think in a healthy way about these things that 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 um you know um that's that's not the case you mm. know it's 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 not the case that um uh i mean the the fact of the matter is is that the the goal of biblical interpretation is not to arrive at them as literal of a um, reading as you can, but rather to read the text in the way that the original author intended it to be read. Mm. And if the original author intended it to be read symbolically and not literally, then we're actually misinterpreting if in our zeal we opt for a literal interpretation simply because we think it defines it, it, 
it jives better with what we think inerrancy is. Sure. Inerrancy, by the way, being the doctrine that the Bible is true and all that it affirms. Sure. So Ryan also mentioned in the sermon uh, this idea of saying uh, observation, interpretation, and application. There is a sequential process for those things that when we come to Scripture, we first observe what is being said. We We interpret it according to the context and the original intention of the author. Yes. Then we apply those truths, and hopefully, lastly, we would proclaim those truths uh, as well. All right, Doug, let's jump into this section here, wars and rumors of wars. So uh, Matthew 24, verses 4 through 14, uh, Ryan was talking this week how Jesus is answering the disciples' questions, right? And he does that in, in a very specific way. Number one, when the disciples ask Jesus, um, you know, when will these things take place or what will be the sign um, you know, basically when and how will we know? You know what I mean? Jesus first responds to them by tempering their expectation. And then he's going to answer their questions, the first one and then the second one, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, cool. So uh, I'm not going to read the whole passage, you know, um, maybe I should. So Matthew 24 verses four through eight, since we're going there uh, <laughs> first, I <laughs> just, I know I said I just wouldn't, but um, because it's a long passage. Verses four through eight. And Jesus said to them, see that no one leads you astray for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will lead many astray and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, right? There's the title of our section. Uh, see that you are not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not yet for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are but the beginning of the birth pains. So Question number three, consider what Jesus says in these verses. And in your opinion, what do you think should be a Christian's response to these things? So, Doug, this is your question. Um, what should our response be? So as Christians, when, when we hear Jesus saying these things, you know, how should we respond to them? How should we think well on them uh, and, and kind of, you know, walk faithfully? Yeah, well, um, uh, you really want to just kind of go through the passage and just look explicitly at the things that Jesus says that that – you're on guard against people leading you astray and people coming in the name of Jesus and even simply slapping the name of Jesus on certain ideas or movements or mm. or or fads. Um, you know, re- realize there are such things as theological fads yeah. and, and biblical fads. And um, there are and, theological fads. We've seen them over the years. Certain oh, yeah. Fads yeah, come yeah, up you and totally disappear. see it. Yeah. yeah, you totally see it. I mean, we saw it. Uh, Recently, we were reminded of the um, the courtship fad, right? Oh, yeah. Like, like where if you're a real Christian, you don't date, you court, yeah. and you follow everything that is written in this book. And then recently, you know, you the, the author um, renounces you know, rec- faith, yeah. rescinds his book, and then renounces his faith. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you uh, see that you are not alarmed. Um, another another big thing. There and and again the idea is just like what does alarm look like and what does it look like and um, I often think back to what is said to Isaiah back in chapter seven or eight I think it's early, early chapter eight in the book of Isaiah where he tells that the prophet tells uh, uh, tells us he says do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy huh. and the, just this idea and do not fear what they fear and the idea is just that like. All these things come and go and people make a huge deal like if we don't get our guy elected this next time, you know, cycle through mm. or if this thing doesn't happen or if this thing does happen, then everything's going to be all kinds of messed up. And it's just Jesus is just kind of saying like, chill out. Yeah. Don't keep your mind on the mission that I've given you. 
the world can look a lot of different ways and this mission is still is still you know whatever it looks like really hmm. and this mission is still yours and as christians we're called to be the people who walk with hope you yeah. know what i mean we like we can't we we can't look to jesus and see him as lord and savior and the hope for all things and then walk through the world as if we are a people of no with no hope mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah. like oh the government's collapsing or or whatever else and there's no hope for us now or or so mm-hmm. on and so forth uh, question number four, in the next five verses, in verses uh, 9 through 14, Jesus teaches us not only to expect persecution, but false teaching and the growing cold of many in the church. Have you ever experienced these things in your own life? Give, give some examples. So practical question here. Have you seen these things in your own experience? Question number five in the sermon, Ryan pointed out how Christians are called to reach the very people who will hate them. If that's the case, then how can Christians overcome the impulse to make enemies of those who hate them because of their faith? This is a good question. I like this a lot. So the tendency, right, for for anybody is is really, you know, if somebody hates me because I'm a Christian, it's like, well, I'm probably going to avoid that person. You know, mm-hmm. don't want to go around them. They yeah. make me not feel very good. Or, you know? or to see them as the enemy. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But then we would read our Bible and see Jesus says, well, love your enemies. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And in these verses specifically, he's saying that the very people – we will be hated by, which, by the way, is all nations, mm-hmm. are the very people that we're called to reach, yeah. all nations. And it's important to realize, I think, a very obvious but important to say uh, application of this is in your um, – the manner in which you dialogue with people online. You, know, you have <laughs> yeah. uh, somebody somebody you find just disagrees with you um, or, or or is an enemy of an, impor- of, of an important truth. Do you talk to them as your, as your mm-hmm. enemy or – do you talk to them as somebody whom you're trying to win to Christ? Mm. Uh, even if you think that that conversation isn't going to end that way, do, are you treating them as somebody who, or maybe people who are watching you and hearing you as well? Um, man, I think that's an important thing to remember. Well, that's another movie quote too that I just remembered. What's that now? You can tell a lot about a man by the way he treats those he doesn't have to treat well. Oh, I don't think I know that one. Oh, you do. Think about that one. We'll come oh, back God. to that. All right. Um, all right. Question number six. What do you think <laughs> would be some effective ways of reaching people who don't like Christians uh, with the gospel? So this is uh, an evangelism question. If you've been with us through the winter sessions, we've been looking at evangelism and some kind of strategies and um, and how to really approach a world that doesn't really care anything about Jesus and has a lot of uh, problems with the current status of things today. And how to really reach them effectively with the gospel. And so you can, you can go back and check some of those things out. But here's a question to say, you know, how would you do it? You know, how would you, how would you talk to people in this day and age? How would you reach people, uh, who don't like Jesus for various reasons and maybe don't like you? So the next, uh, section here, let the reader understand. This is an interesting little, um, <laughs> just side note from the author, Matthew. Yes. Um, just let the reader understand. This is, this is the most fascinating thing to me, uh, because you, you hear that and it's just like, okay, what, what am I supposed to understand? Cause I don't, I don't get it, but it's, it's really, really cool. So verses 15 and 28, Jesus is foretelling of the destruction of the temple, right? So Ryan walked through that in the sermon this week by referencing the abomination of desolation in several prophecies. So, uh, Doug, Doug you've listed a couple uh, of those here, Daniel eight thirteen nine twenty seven eleven thirty one twelve eleven, 1111. And then, so Doug, you want to talk about this a little bit? Um, we went to this at, at length in the other, uh, podcast, so we won't, uh, you know, revisit all of that. But basically, Jesus is talking about the temple. The abomination of desolation has happened previously. Is that right, Doug? 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so there's already been an abomination of desolation. Sure. And Jesus is essentially saying uh, there will be another one like okay. that. And so he's specifically using that term, the abomination of desolation, as a reference to Old Testament, to events that have already happened, that have already taken place as allegory for the future, right? Mm-hmm. Or as just like this, this will happen again. Even worse, yes. essentially. Yes. Um, so, you know, leaders, that's kind of how we can interpret these things. That's how we can hear what Jesus is saying. Um, and then this does take place, indeed, because we know from history that the Romans come in and they, they don't really sack the city, but they siege it. And then uh, in 70 AD. Yeah. Cool. So uh, number six, what <laughs> do you think uh, would be some effective ways of re- – wait, I asked that already. Let the Sorry. Question number seven, why do you think the destruction of the temple is so monumental in Jesus's perspective? This is another great question. Um, how do you think the fall of the temple would have impacted the early Christians understanding of what God is doing in and through Jesus? There's probably a shorter way that you can ask that question, but you know, how, why, what does this have to do with what God's up to in the world? You know what I mean? It's essentially what we're asking. Why is this so important? Mm -hmm. Doug, you want to, you want to answer that? Yeah. And, uh, the idea is you want to be as mindful of uh, the Old Testament and the mode that that puts you in as possible, right? And and that really places it as the, at the temple, at the center of everything, at the center of God. This is where God has chosen to make His name dwell among His people, um, to to uh, where He will be be worshipped, um, and uh, you know they're they're to they're to make pilgrimages down there several times a year. It's the center of their of their religious life, mm. and it's it, and it's not only it's not only a building. It's not like um, like imagine someone did that to like you know nine thirty Riverview Drive, mm. right, and, and tore it down. Like that would be devastating, but it wouldn't be anything as near right because because God Himself we don't associate like His dwelling presence with the physical building, mm. whereas they did. And so this is a huge shift. And I think it's very reminiscent of the story uh, that uh, of Jesus meeting the woman at the well in John chapter 4, where he's like, you know, um, no longer on this mountain will you worship the Father, right? Because the Father is seeking people to worship him in spirit and truth, right? It's not going to be about physical location anymore and although like we might look back and be like oh that's a a silly view it's actually you know if the old testament is all you had to go on yeah you better worship at at, uh, on that mountain you better because that's exactly that's exactly what god wants his people to be doing absolutely um i i think that's i think that's awesome um and for us too i mean even today some people can you know we say this in discover merchants all the time like the church is not a building you know what i mean it's not like so right now we're sitting in Totowa. We're in the Totowa campus. We're sitting in an old Entenmann's factory. You know what I mean? It's not the building. It's mm-hmm. the church is God's people. You know what I mean? God dwells among his people. And that's important for us to understand. Very, very important. Um, question number eight. In verse 27, Jesus says that his eventual coming, i.e. his second coming, right? Or the parousia, mm-hmm. my Greek word for the week that Doug taught me, <laughs> uh, will be like lightning. Why do you think this Im- – what do you think this imagery – is meaning to teach us about the nature of Jesus' second coming. Um, I'm going to have to fix the what, – what did I write there? What do you <laughs> think this imagery is mean to teach us? Um, it's very mean imagery. It's a very cruel imagery. <laughs> well, it's lightning, man. Um, <laughs> but you just need a T on the end of mean. Yeah, meant to teach us. Thank you. Dot in a T. So obviously Ryan answered this in the sermon, right? Jesus' second coming, when he comes back – 
It's not going to be a secret in the woods. You're not going to have to be relying upon somebody with a, you know, a weird trench coat that says, I have the secret to the Messiah second coming and come this way or come to a Bible study and eat this pasta and drink this Kool-Aid, right? It's, that's not how it's going to happen. Like Jesus that. is coming back. Trench coat and pasta. <laughs> dude, I, that's, that was my experience when I was at school at Montclair. <laughs> this big dude came in. He had a trench coat on and he invited me to a Bible study where they served pasta and I think it was juice, like uh, juicy juice. Yeah, you don't want to serve Kool-Aid at those kinds no. of things. <laughs> but seriously, and they were saying, you know, they were convinced about a certain type of uh, interpretation of the Bible, you know, which was crazy. One crazy experience for another time. But um, anyway, Jesus' second coming is not going to be some kind of secret. We will see it, right? Like lightning in the sky from east to the west. Big bang, big crash. Everyone's going to know. You're not like when Jesus comes back, it's not like he's going to come back and we'll be like, hmm. Was that, was that really it? You know, and it's like, boom, no, we will know. Um, so anyway, yeah. Last section, son of man coming in the clouds, on the clouds. Ask for volunteer to read Matthew 24 verses 29 to 35. So our last six verses here in the sermon this week, Ryan explained how this passage is often confusing because we like to associate this imagery with a literal d- depiction of the world to Jesus's followers. However, these images would have sooner called to mind the old Testament references talking about God's judgment on powerful nations. So of all things that I've learned this week, Doug, from what we've been studying and from the sermon, this is the biggest one that kind of like rocked my world. So what we're talking about is the language in here that Jesus is using where the sun is being darkened and stars are falling from the sky and the moon will not give its light. And Doug, you were, you were kind of explaining that this imagery comes from other places in scripture that we've seen before where God is specifically telling uh, or, or talking about God's judgment on a nation or the falling of a king mm-hmm. or so on and so forth. Do you want to explain a little bit more about that? Certainly. Yeah. Well, and we go into the detail a lot more in the other podcasts that we do on this chapter. So I don't right. want to, I don't want to flog a dead horse here, uh, but the basic idea is that uh, these, <laughs> we're going to flog, the horse. we're not going to beat the horse. We're going to flog it. The basic idea is this, is that um, Jesus is uh, the, the con, Oftentimes when the prophets would speak about the coming destruction or judgment of God or something, what they would do is they would um, they would evoke certain images, ways in which nature itself, for example, would be fighting against uh, the, the cities and the nations uh, that were receiving the prophetic denunciation. And so you get things like earthquakes and you get things like uh, you know, seas rising and, and, and here's the specific idea of the sun and the moon being darkened and stars falling out of the sky. Those are, those are images that we have seen before in scripture. And I give some of the very specific references, uh, to those things. Um, passages like Isaiah, uh, chapter 34, for example, uh, would be, would be a good one in chapter 13 as well. These are these are places where um, where uh, in fact in in uh, in Isaiah thirteen verse ten he seems to be explicitly quoting from that passage, and those in those places the things that are being described are not the end of the world they are very this worldly events that happened in history, um, in other words that so like um, and that's just how prophetic imagery works mm. um, it it. It's uh, it uses it uses a lot of symbols and figures and things like that, and um, so when we say we want to interpret scripture with scripture, we want to say, okay, I've got something weird here, and uh, but it's not the first time I'm seeing this idea in scripture. 
what does the what do the other places it is used teach me about how it might be being used here? Mm. So now, if we don't do that, then we simply say, well, what would it look like for the sun to literally be darkened and the moon to not literally to literally not give its light and and the stars to literally fall out of heaven? What would that look like? And you know, and and it's from that that we get these ideas of what the end of the world will look like. Well, that seems to me like that would be like a Ghostbusters kind of scenario or <laughs> yeah. something, right? Mm. They even talk about stuff like this in Ghostbusters, right? <laughs> Winston and uh and um who's Dan oh, Aykroyd, right? In the, yeah, Ray I, in the, Ray, in the yep. car, you know? And um but the fact of the matter is is that that's that's a modern reading. That's taking modern presuppositions. When you talked about these that when you used images like this, as far as we can tell in the uh, in, in biblical times uh, and to people soaked in scripture, um, these things evoked different ideas than they evoked mm-hmm. to us. And for them, it was much, much more had to do with the judgment on the nations. And so it's very interesting because um, because as as symbols of judgment on nations, what Jesus is essentially saying is something it's an idea not entirely foreign to the prophets, but basically that 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 um you're going to see the kingdoms that seem to you to be the greatest rome right mm. and and but not only not only Rome but you know, the Jewish establishment right he's denouncing the temple he's saying the temple will fall. these are cataclysmic earth shattering changes that are that are going to be happening and uh jesus is talking about those things um falling and coming to an end now of course i don't mean to imply that rome went away in jesus's lifetime right right but uh, and part of this is the idea that these are not these are not so tightly tied to specific historical events that they can't be reapplied elsewhere. Right. In other words, some of what Jesus is teaching is very much akin to what he says early on in verses four and following, where these are patterns that will. So the stars falling from heaven, it's happened to nations in the past. It will happen to nations that exist now, and it will happen to nations that exist in the future. Hmm. Right. So, but the, but the idea is that, that this judgment is, is, is not only going to be on those bad guys, but it's going to be on on uh, the, temple the, well. the temple establishment yeah. as well, yeah. So the question here, right, is in what way should Jesus' words here refocus Christians on the Great Commission and sharing the gospel? Mm-hmm. I mean, obvious answer is like, for one, we should hear Jesus' words and expect these things. You know what I mean? He, because for the disciples that are following Jesus, he's telling them specifically, this is going to happen to the temple. And don't doubt, you know what I mean? Don't doubt that, you know, God's still not reigning. He is. These things are to come. And, and you know, fast forward to today, I mean, we've seen world wars. We're seeing strife all over the place and especially kind of the, the cultural climate, the social cultural climate that's going on um, even in the United States. You know what I mean? To look at this and say, well, the whole world's falling apart. It's like, no, Jesus is still reigning. You know what I mean? Like he he called it essentially. Mm-hmm. It's like and so for us as Christians, we should indeed be those people who have hope. And walk accordingly uh, to be able to share that gospel, to, to be able to point to Jesus as the one source of absolute truth and and love and justice and mercy. Um, last question here in your own words. How would you express the hope a Christian should have despite current events or calamity? So I just spoke about that a little bit here. And then lastly, just pray. Pray for your group this week, for uh, this season, for this week. Uh, and pray for unity, especially. I mean, we've got, we've got some fun texts coming up and, and, uh, we're just praying that God would be able to, uh, make us people that love him well, who have hearts to, 
to hear and um, to serve others well, to love people well, and that uh, we would build unity together as we explore God's word uh, and just be an example of Christ to all who come to emergence, who all, all who participate uh, in, in what we do and, and be faithful to carry that great commission forward. So, Doug, any final words? No, I think we're good. No Star Trek quotes? No Star Trek quotes. Where's from, by the so way? It's from, okay. <laughs> See you guys yeah. next week.